Hello and a warm welcome to Econoday Unplugged. It's Tuesday, the 4th of October, 2022. Terry Sheehan's on the US East Coast and I'm Jeremy Hawkins in London. On Friday, we'll get an idea of how the US labour market performed last month, which should help to determine whether or not speculation about yet another 75 basis point by the head in November is justified or overblown. However, driving the financial markets last week wasn't so much for talk about what the Fed might do as what the UK government actually did with its fiscal policy. Specifically, it was a huge U-turn announced on the previous Friday that caused the pound to hit a record low against the dollar and prompt one of the most volatile periods of trading that the fixed income markets have ever seen. So on today's podcast, we'll have a look at how the US economy is faring and consider the ongoing fallout from what currently amounts to policy chaos in the UK. Right then, as usual, we'll go stateside first and let's go straight to the uh, Friday's employment report. So Terry, inflation now driving central bank policies, your side of the pond, most sides of the ponds at the moment. What matters most in Friday's report, do you think? Is it payroll, wages or is there something else we should be looking at? Um, I think it will be payrolls. Um, Also, if the unemployment rate is going up at all. Uh, Right now, sort of the Fed's saving grace on lifting interest rates rapidly is that the labor market in the U.S. has remained very strong. Uh, Job openings are high. Uh, There's very few layoffs. Wages are going up. Uh, Labor force participation is improving ever so slightly. So these are all good things uh, that suggest that there is underlying strength in the U.S. economy and that we can get through a period of rapid and large rate hikes. Uh, Expectations right now for payroll growth are around uh, 250,000 for Friday. Uh, That puts us really pretty much right on track for about the same average growth in the third quarter as we saw in the second quarter. So it's looking like the the labor market is holding on pretty well. And we're seeing in the weekly jobless claims numbers, relatively few initial jobless claims, the roles of those currently receiving uh, unemployment benefits are going down. So, um, if there, we have a reasonably good employment report for September on Friday, uh, the the Fed is probably still on the track for another 75 basis point increase. Okay, fair enough. In fact, on that, let me ask you a question. Those are some comments coming out of, now if I remember rightly, it's the San Francisco uh, regional president um, a couple of weeks or so ago, estimating that half of the excess inflation in the states at the moment is caused by excess demand. So pretty well, I guess, in, in line with what you're saying, they'll probably need to do more because you know, supply is recovering more slowly than demand has at the moment, and they need to narrow that gap further. Is that right? And if that's the case, you know, how do they get supply perhaps um, picking up? growth at a time when they're trying to slow what's going on with demand? Well, it looks like they're getting some help from things like um, the surveys of manufacturing where we are seeing the data on supply chains improving, well, a little better than incrementally. Uh, And the initial reports for things like uh, prices paid 
the increases are flattening out. So it looks like that Fed rate hikes have had some impact already in cooling demand. Okay, and I guess something on that front I'll have to ask you is in terms of what's going on the housing market. Um, as a result, we've seen, I know these bond markets have been all over the place of late, um, but we've seen mortgage rates climb above, what, 6% or so for the first time in the last 15 years, give or take. Um, presuming that now must now be starting to have some impact on the housing market, because from what I've seen, my side anyway, a number of the, you know, the larger bank forecasts, uh, at least potentially warning of a, you know, a possibly fairly significant decline in housing market activity and certain, certainly prices over the course of the next 12 months or so. Yes, um, and there has been some pretty obvious impacts from higher mortgage rates. And in fact, they're approaching 7% here in the U.S. now mm-hmm. for a 30-year fixed. Uh, it looks like there is still demand for housing out there, but what consumers are doing is uh, now that they've got greater supply on the market, uh, they're taking a little more time to negotiate um, and use what pricing power they have to get the price down in order to maintain affordability. The other thing that seems to be happening is instead of single family homes, people who are buying homes are going for multi-units like townhouses, uh, which are tend to be a more affordable buy-in to the housing market. All right. Um, I guess one of the factors which will help to term you know, the interest in the housing market is just the overall, overall position on wealth. Um, so given what's happening in the stock market at the moment, I mean, again, like all these markets are so hugely volatile at the moment, but there has been a little bit of recovery coming through, certainly your side anyway, over the course of uh, the last few days, albeit still well down from where we were a month or so ago. Yeah. Is it the case at the moment the Fed's actually relatively happy with the, the kind of downtrend we have in having equity prices as a means of trying to put a little bit of downside pressure on demand? The Fed tends to avoid talking about influencing the stock market in any way. I bet it but does. I think they, they can't be too unhappy about the fact that um, some, of, some of the things that were helping to drive prices up are going to see uh, an improvement um, with lower stock values. All right. Let me ask you one other thing about the economy. I saw a report the other day. I think it came out of Nike, uh, where the um, its shares were, were plunged. I think they were down the most last two decades or something like that. And the reason behind that was they reported a 65% surge in inventories. Um, and I kind of wonder if we get to a stage now whereby is it that you know, we should be looking more at the inventory data you know, with a view to try and get to gauge the imbalance between supply and demand as we go forward? I know it's always difficult interpreting inventories, but yeah, if we do start to see rising inventories, particularly in relation to sales, would that be one of the kind of metrics that perhaps the Fed might be looking at with a view to deciding, well, OK, perhaps we're getting towards a stage now whereby we've done enough to cool growth of demand down? Uh, inventories, I mean, from my observations in stores is uh, consumers are looking for value right now. And mm-hmm. Nike tends to be a more expensive product. And I think part of it is that they are sh- seeing a shift um, with consumers going for lower priced options. 
but uh, overall, I think what consumers are looking for right now are things that have been in short supply and Nikes haven't been in short supply. I mean, they're, they're really looking more toward uh, the things they haven't been able to buy. There are sh shortages of certain foods, um, appliances, um, other things that they just haven't been able to get for a while. And um, I just think that, you know, part of it is that we're just, uh, consumers are also a lot more sedentary than they were before the pandemic. So uh, I think that things like the demand for sporting goods probably isn't what it was. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Fair point. Right. Last one for me, then, I have to ask you, um, not as big as some in the past. Well, I guess if you live in, what, Florida or the Carolinas, it probably doesn't seem that way. Um, Hurricane Ian, do you think that's going to be big enough to have any significant impact on the GDP profile or side? I think it will have some impact on GDP. Um, it is fairly contained to a single region. Uh, this isn't like a big manufacturing re region. It will definitely have effect on things like air travel and tourism. Uh, but what we're probably going to see is mostly in the housing sector where um, housing stock has been damaged or destroyed and will have to be repaired or replaced. So um, this happens at the very end of the third quarter. So I think we are going to see um, some negative impact on GDP in the third quarter, but I also think we're going to see a fairly robust rebound in those same areas in the fourth quarter. Fair enough. Makes sense. Okay, um, Terry, anything else from your side you'd like to put in? Well, I've been looking at uh, the Federal Reserve voters and for the next meeting. And on the whole, they seem to still be leaning pretty hawkish. There's a few we haven't heard from recently, so I can't be absolutely certain of that. But I think we're going to start hearing more comments about the Fed being data dependent uh, because the there's a few economic data reports coming up over the next few weeks that are really going to have a lot to do with whether the Fed decides on the 75 or 50 basis point increase next time around. Okay, interesting stuff. Keep our eyes out for that one then. Okay, thanks, Terry. Um, now, before, before I get on to Europe, I should mention, given that so, so much of these uh, market moves are to do with inflation at the moment, um, we do have an, an OPEC plus group, so the main OPEC, the broader OPEC group, holding a meeting tomorrow, Wednesday, so at the 5th of October, and they're expected to discuss reductions of, well, possibly even more than 1 million barrels a day of output. Um, were they to do that, then that could certainly put some upside pressure on oil prices. Indeed, we've seen some oil prices moving up in the course of the last day or two um, on speculation of just that. So worthwhile keeping on is quite clearly what happens to energy prices, oil prices in particular. It's going to have a big say in where inflation goes from here. 
Right then, um, and I guess so to the UK, where quite simply economic policy is in a shambles with the new Liz Truss government trying to push in one direction at the same time as the central bank, the Bank of England, is pushing in completely the opposite one. So just a bit of background. Um, ruling Conservative Party has always claimed to be the party of fiscal responsibility. And under the previous Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, was looking to gradually claw back the huge increase in government borrowing caused by COVID. Hence then the total amazement when the newly installed UK Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng, so-called mini budget on the 23rd of September, amounted to what could be the largest tax cut in half a century. Now, the package was met with a wave of criticism both at home and abroad. In fact, it received so poorly that even the IMF felt obliged to offer the sort of stern rebuke normally reserved for emerging market countries. And indeed, a senior Fed official warned that economic fallout could have implications for US growth simply due to its potential damage to the performance of the European Union or European economy as a whole. Now, the investor response was to dump both the pound, which hit a new record low against the dollar, on worries that it may no longer be able to fund the current account deficit, which is already around 8% of GDP and rising, and also UK gilts, which facing massive new supply at one point last week saw yield surge, a remarkable one and a half percentage points in a single session to touch a 20-year high. And bear in mind, of course, this is at a time when the UK is widely expected to be moving into a recession. Internationally, the fallout has boosted volatility in financial markets in general. It's also helped to underpin dollar strength, which, of course, simply adds to the inflation problems in many countries, not least the emerging markets where investors have already been withdrawing record amounts of capital during the course of the year. So the UK, which is now being warned about a possible downgrade by some of the big credit rating agencies, the prospective collapse last week of what would have been a sizable chunk of the domestic pension industry, the main holders of gilts, forced the Bank of England to intervene. So having only just announced at its September MPC meeting that it begins selling gilts this week as part of its quantitative tightening programme, the bank was forced to suspend its planned auctions until at least the end of this month. Moreover, it also said that it would now be buying long-dated gilts in any amounts, at least through to the 14th of October, as it tries to restore market functioning. So in other words, courtesy of the government's fiscal giveaway, the Bank of England is having to contradict its own policy goal of bringing inflation back to target. The quantitative easing tap is being turned back on again at exactly the same time as the bank is tightening liquidity by raising interest rates. And a political fallout has also been massive. An average of opinion polls put the main opposition Labour Party, not normally regarded as being market friendly by investors, around some 27 percentage points ahead of the Conservative, prompting talk that the new Prime Minister, only in the job just a few weeks, could even face an in-party leadership challenge. So the politics, not just the policy side surrounding the UK at the moment, looking pretty miserable. Uh, it's safe to say that the Bank of England is not at all happy and about the only good news for it 
was that the government felt obliged to stress the importance of the central bank's independence in a bid to try and calm investor nerves. So far, uh, the Bank of England's invention, intervention has at least helped to reverse more than half the jump in yields. And to be fair to them, they got the pound back close to where it was before the, the mini budget statement. The banks also said that it still doesn't expect to move on interest rates until its next MPC meeting on November the 3rd. However, uh, the bank's chief economist has also indicated that it sees the, uh, the loosening of fiscal policy as requiring a significant monetary response. And that, I suspect, is going to have speculators thinking that they could move by perhaps as much as a full one percentage point or so once they've worked out just how inflationary this fiscal spending package might be. Now, at the end of the day, I guess the bank's intervention still amounts to just a sticking plaster that doesn't really address the financial market's need for faith in the government's fiscal credibility. And for that, the new medium term fiscal strategy announcement originally scheduled for November 23rd, but now possibly due to market pressure likely to be brought forward, will be key. Now, already we've got the, the planned abolition of the top rate of income taxes had to be shelved. That came out earlier on today when the government had to do yet another U-turn on that one. But the crucial thing about the medium term strategy will be that this government's new statement where it fleshes out the full details of its medium term plans. This will be accompanied by new forecasts for public sector borrowing by the Independent Office of Budget Responsibility, the OBR. Now, this shows borrowing out of control. UK markets might not be looking too bad at the moment, but they could get very messy indeed with the inevitable knock on effects elsewhere. So do watch this space. Uh, conditions in UK markets have certainly settled down a little bit over the course of the last couple of days or so, but they still remain extremely vulnerable. Right, enough of the UK and let's wrap up um, what's going elsewhere, bits and pieces. As far as Eurozone's concerned, Terry was talking about a probable another 75 basis points out of the Fed next month. Well, for the ECB, they're going to be none too chuffed with uh, inflation developments in the Eurozone. The flash inflation number there jumped up to 10%, so double digits at compared with expectations of just 9.6% and only 9.1% um, in the previous month of August. Core rate up at 4.8% after 4.3%. So surprise, surprise, we got both new record highs again and it's very difficult to see given that ending less than 75 basis points i think when the ecb next meets on october the 27th and no doubt some of the more hawkish governors will be pushing for a full 100 basis points in terms of the real economy well the numbers continue to be fairly weak um third quarter gdp certainly could face a contraction if it does then quite likely the eurozone will be in recession by the end of this year and uh, particularly important within that is going to be performance of the consumer sector with consumer confidence which continues to hit a series of record lows and so it really does seem that the household sector has been hit very heavily at the moment by what's happening to energy prices. Um, what else should I mention? Um, Canada says so it's not just the US which will be getting employment report on Friday. We'll also get the latest coming out of the Canadians as well. Worth watching this one because by and large, a bit like the Fed, I think market's still very much anticipating aggressive Bank of Canada tightening and tightening, if I can say it. But it's worth mentioning that the employment data over the last couple of months or so have been poor out of Canada. Uh, now, the last time it was biased down by what did appear to be a suspicious fall in the education side of things, which ought to be unround um, at the end of this week 
If it doesn't happen like that, then it would suggest that the Canadian economy is slowing more quickly than expected, uh, which could in turn bring inflation back under control more quickly than expected. And indeed, the last set of inflation numbers are on the low side anyway. And so very much could have implications for what the Bank of Canada is going to do. Um, also, I should mention uh, what's going on in Australia, um, not necessarily sort of an obvious guide to what other central banks are going to do. But last night, uh, the Reserve Bank of Australia raised interest rates by only 25 basis points. That puts the benchmark rate at 2.6%. Now, financial markets were looking for 50 basis points. And although the RBA did signal that more increases are likely to be required over the period ahead. The fact that they've actually trimmed the increase from previously 50 basis point moves has inevitably got markets starting to look for inflection points. And perhaps if the Reserve Bank of Australia is beginning to think about you know, the fact that they've done enough in terms of big interest rate moves and are now going to come back to more normal size changes, it could have implications for other central banks. Not necessarily by any means, but it might certainly certainly have speculators looking closely at Reserve Bank of New Zealand across the waters. Uh, they're due to make their uh, policy announcement later on this evening. Markets again looking for 50 basis points there, but it must be at least an outside chance that will only do 25 basis points. And if we get two central banks reducing the size of their policy changes and inevitably the way financial markets work, it will start agitating speculation about, well, perhaps some of the other bigger central banks could go down the same route. OK, then. Well, I guess that's probably it for today. Um, well, recent events, particularly here in the UK, I guess offer a timely reminder that, well, government and central bank policies inevitably have a huge impact on financial markets. The markets themselves can also have a big say especially if they don't have faith in the final outcome. And in reaching that conclusion, the economic data will always be key. So do keep do keep an eye um, on what's going on in terms of the movers and shakers of our economy's global economic calendar. So on behalf of Terry and me, thanks as always for listening. We look forward to seeing you again next time. Bye for now.